0: Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. All right, well, good morning. You know, maybe uh, you've got kids and you saw this herd go that way. You're like, we're new here. I'm not sure how to do this thing. And what do we do? And all that. Uh, if you're new here, you can check your kids in, in the commons as you come in on a Sunday morning. And then once they're checked in, they got their safety tags. You got your safety tag. Then you can send them with the herd uh, when everybody else goes out here. Now, it's cool if you got kids for them to stay in here with you. We are a kid friendly, a family friendly kind of a church. So your kids are good hanging with you also. And if you've got littles, we've actually got great space for your littles too. Kind of. Uh, preschool age things we call that our downtown area again uh, that's right over here so if you got questions about that let us know and we'd love to be able to help you uh kind of be able to connect here and be present here as family so let us know how we can do that best all right uh, if uh, Again, if you're new and we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm Matt, one of the pastors here, and I'm excited that we get to hang out together in God's Word, that we get to learn from Him, that we get to uh, study His Word, that we get to let God shape us as we encounter uh, His inspired Word here this morning. So I want to begin by reading our, our passage for today. We find this in the New Testament book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we've spent the last few weeks in the Gospel of John, uh, and so so now we're moving over to um, Bible word epistles. Of John, First John. Uh, so we're picking up some of these th- same themes as John is helping shape us in what it looks like for us to belong together. What does it mean to be us? What does it mean to be the church? Uh, and how does that play out in our lives? And we're looking at different facets of this beautiful diamond. Uh, and so we're beginning by uh, listening to John's teachings, both through his gospel and now through his letter, or as we call it, the epistle of First John. Fancy word there, isn't it? Here we go, First John chapter 3. You're going to find 1 John towards the end of your New Testament. If you got to Revelation and Appendix, you've gone too far. Uh, so you back up just a few pages there and we'll find ourselves in First John chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading at verse uh, 10. All right, so let's uh, feel free to follow along however you choose to do that. First John chapter 3 beginning of verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. We're seeing this dividing line here. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we, we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. Do you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And so here we are. Here we are proclaiming that God's love is real. It's not ethereal. It's not just hanging out in the universe somewhere. God's love is real. And it is made known in us and through us. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. You are good. And as we look past, as you have revealed yourself through scripture, we have seen your goodness. As we look back in our lives, we can see your fingerprints and your goodness. And as we have worshipped you today, we continue to proclaim your goodness God, thank you for the life you have given us. Thank you for the new life you have given to so many of us. Thank you for the curiosity that you have planted in those who are, exper- uh, who, who are looking, for, looking for you, who are searching for you, who are hungry for something. Let them find you even today. God, teach us your ways that we might know you more fully that we might join you in your work of rescuing a lost and broken world. So, Father, this morning, would you give us eyes to see what we don't naturally see? Would you give us ears to hear what we don't naturally hear? And would you, Father, in your goodness, and your mercy, and in your power, through your Holy Spirit, soften our hearts where there are distractions, God, draw us in to be attentive to your nearness and your love, your truth and your power, where we are stubborn and hard-hearted. God, I pray that you would break through that, that you would turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and write your law on our hearts today through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As, as John is writing this whole letter, uh, we've written, read just a, a piece of it, but one of the, the big questions that he's trying to tackle and process is this whole question of, um, how can I know that I'm God's? You see, there had been some false teachers that were sneaking in, and we see this in a lot of the New Testament's teaching, that there were these false teachers, and, and the essence of what they would teach, it was some version of uh, Jesus plus uh, Jesus plus like if, if you have Jesus and uh, obedience to uh, you know, Hebrew law then and Jewish law, then then you could know that you're Gods or um, kind of this gnostic piece, if you had Jesus plus this special body of knowledge, then then maybe you would find yourself in the, a part of what God is doing. And so the, many of the letters that we have in this particular letter from John is about correcting those things and helping people who uh, were maybe even new in their faith in Jesus or had new but had gotten confused about what it means to center their faith on Jesus. John is, is reorienting us. And as a part of that, the section that we're, we're reading here is, um, is, is looking at this question John is teaching that there is a distinct posture, listen, that there is a distinct posture toward each other that reveals one's posture towards sin and righteousness. Let that just sink in a second for what he's teaching us. There is a distinct posture that we have towards one another that reveals one's posture towards sin and righteousness. To to hate a brother, to withhold a brother or sister, to, um, to be stubborn and unforgiving, to wish for ill towards a brother or sister in Christ reveals something. And he draws us into the story of Cain and Abel to reveal this. To hate a brother or sister is to be like Cain who was unrighteous. He let his hate move towards murder. Murder. And so to be righteous reveals itself in love for one another, in words and action. This is where John is drawing us in. You know, it's interesting that he stops along and tells us a little bit about Cain and Abel. Many of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while, you've been studying scripture, you're familiar, no doubt, with the story of Cain and Abel. Some of you are newer and you haven't spent much time in the Bible. It's a story you're going to find uh, more fully in Genesis chapter 11. So here at First John, we're towards the back of the book. You flip towards the front of the book, just four chapters into uh, the story of God's revelation to the world in Genesis chapter 4, you're going to find the story of Cain and Abel. They were brothers They were brothers and somehow they had been taught that bringing a sacrifice to the Lord was a a good thing and so they were told that they brought sacrifice and so Abel kind of took care of animals and so he brought a sacrifice of uh, kind of fat and richness from a sacrificed animal and Cain was more of an agriculture um, uh, vegetable kind of a guy and so he brought some of his crops, you know, for uh, sacrifice to God. And, you know, we don't have all of the insight into God's response here, but, but we do get what happens. God declares uh, that Abel's sacrifice was righteous, that, that when he looked at Abel, he saw righteousness. What, what Abel brought in honor and worship to the Lord, came from a heart of righteousness. And what Cain brought came from a heart of sinfulness, of unrighteousness. We're not given an encyclopedic definition of the difference between those things, but what we're told is, is God saw and he declared You know, we're just a little bit of time off of God creating the world and he declared what was good and he declared what was not good, right? So God names that which is righteous and unrighteous. God names that which is good and not good. And that, like, he's God. He gets to do that. Part of the whole problem is when we mix up and think that we're God and we get to decide what is good and what is not good, right? So we confuse that, I confuse that, you probably confuse that sometimes too, Right? And so here we are, just at chapter four, and this whole thing is being confused. And God names and declares Abel's offering was born out of righteousness, and Cain's offering was born out of unrighteousness, out of sinfulness. Well, Cain saw God's favor on his brother and immediately wanted to throw a party for his brother and say, Brother, good job. Because that's mostly how brothers work this thing out, right? Those of you who have brothers, yeah, you're like, good job. There's, like, we don't have a thing in the world, uh, kind of brother, brotherly animosity or jealousy. We're very unfamiliar with those kinds of things. No, actually, we're very familiar with those kinds of things. And so when Cain looks at Abel and he despises his brother, he hates his brother because the Lord has judged his offering Righteous. A lot of us can identify with that, like we know what that jealousy is, and that jealousy was the outcropping of his unrighteousness, his unrighteousness is being revealed, and so at the first point that we might say, God, you're kind of being unfair, like just because he brought crops instead of animals, doesn't, oh, but the unrighteousness of his heart is being revealed through his hatred of his brother, his jealousy and hatred of his brother, to the point that he deceived his brother, he lured his brother out into a field and killed him. He killed his own brother. And so why would John be referencing this? Because our hatred towards Brothers and sisters, our begrudgingness, our jealousy, our withholding from our brothers and sisters, those who claim Christ along with us and are his children, his God's family, our family, our our posture often reveals the sinfulness that lurks within. And so, John is linking these two things a heart is revealed and seen in the posture towards brothers and sisters. Cain was confused about his relationship with God. He was unrighteous. He didn't understand what it meant to be God's beloved. He was unrighteous, and so his offering was unrighteous and rejected by God. That confusion with the father played out in his hatred towards his brother to the point of killing him. See, our identity as God's beloved leads to, flows toward our love for our brothers and sisters, our love for each other. And, and we're dialing in, we're focusing in on our relationships as church, our relationships as God people. Our identity, let this, let this hit you, our identity as God's beloved leads to our love for each other. And John calls us to love like Jesus and to love in practical and tangible ways. So let's explore this a little bit with each other, because he clarifies for us, love one another like Jesus loved you, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Right, so any person who listens or reads John's letter and says, well, what does it mean to love each other? He gets real specific, doesn't he? Here's what love is. Here's how love is defined. Jesus laid down his life for us. As we look back earlier in John's letter, he, he's talking about because of that, we become children of God. That's why he says even towards the, sec- towards the end of the section that we read here, he says, Dear children, let us not love with just words but with actions, right? So he's dear children. He's not being pedantic or paternalistic. He's, he's saying we, we are God's children. If we are in Christ, we are God's children. We are his, and we are also siblings together as a part of God's family. And so because Christ laid his life down, we become his beloved the objects of his. This is what love looks like, that Christ laid down his life. And we see that in Jesus. He, he didn't preserve his life. He didn't hold his life. He didn't hoard his life. He laid his life down. And nobody would look at what happened and said that it was just. Even in the face of injustice, even in the face of, 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 of offense, beyond offense, He was the pure, perfect son of God. And yet he was killed. And he was killed because others around him were looking to preserve themselves, preserve their power, preserve their standing, right? They were holding on to. And so we see this incredible distinction between love and unrighteousness. Jesus shows us what love is, And he did so because he laid down his life for us. Love through the sacrifice of self is what Jesus modeled. And very quickly, John says, again, we see in verse 16, right? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother's and sisters, in the way that Jesus loved you, and this is a theme, we've, like we've been talking about this in these last few weeks, as, as we have experienced God's love through the sacrifice of Jesus to the point of death, so we also ought love one another. Like, scripture's not giving us a lot of mystery here. It's not this ethereal, wispy, Go be love. Oh, he gives us quite the picture of it. Doesn't mean we like the picture of it, right? Like we could chafe against the picture of it because, because born into this world, we are well versed in the patterns of this world, and the patterns of this world are about preservation of self, about keeping, about hoarding, about protecting, about guarding. We are well trained in the arts and sciences of self-preservation. And yet we continually bump up against this command to love one another as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the model. That's the beginning point. See, you and I, in our own nature, in our human nature, don't muster up that kind of love. It just doesn't flow within us. The source of this love is Christ himself. Disney doesn't generate this kind of love. Hallmark doesn't generate this kind of love. Dating and romance doesn't generate this kind of love. Parenthood, while it touches on some of this and can serve as an illustration, it itself doesn't generate this kind of love. This kind of love comes from God. God is its source. What's natural to us is self-preservation. And so he's calling us into something else. That, that being us means we love one another in the way of Jesus. And I love how John takes it down just another level of practicality. Like, let's, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Thank you, John, for doing this for us. Right? And so he takes it right down. Look at verses uh, 17 and 18. So this is what this looks like, lay down your life for friends. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on on them, compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Hmm. John's not like asking, he's not wondering. It's not an open-ended question, it's a leading question. How can the love of God be in this person? And the implied answer, in the way this is written here, the implied answer is, they can't. Okay? Then verse 18, dear children, God's beloved, God's children, dear children, let us not love with words or speech merely, but with actions and in truth. There, there is a, a fierceness to love that we have received from Christ and that we offer to one another. And this is incredibly practical. If you see somebody in need, see a brother or sister in need, and, and your heart isn't moved towards them, you don't have compassion on them, you don't have pity towards them, doesn't mean that you by yourself have to meet all of the needs everywhere around you, but but your heart isn't moved towards that. You find yourself hard-hearted. You find yourself withholding. You find yourself judging the person in need. Can that person even have the love of God in them? Hmm. And so he draws us in and says, this isn't just about the words that you use. Our words are important, but this isn't just about the words you use. It's about how you move towards action and truth. Like it gets right down to it. It's practical. It's got a checklist. You can see it. Somebody else can look upon it and say, that looks that, that looks like love. It's confounding on how much that looks like love. Right? So it's, it's not just, um, again, like I've said this a few times, it's not just this ethereal thing that exists out here, or it's not just a wishfulness that resides in my heart. It's a transformation of my heart through the love of God alive in me that pours itself out into the love of another. And so John makes it very practical here, very tangible and oriented around material possessions. But I would also say as we look at this, and the principle that's at stake here isn't just about material possessions. There might be somebody that is in need of comfort, but their grief makes me so uncomfortable, so I move the other way. It might be that there's somebody that I see who needs encouragement, but I'm too busy, so I'm not going to offer that. That would feel maybe cheesy to encourage them. right? When we see people in need, but we move away from them or we harden ourselves towards them, it's a sign for us that God's love has not been birthed in us. And so while we might not um, look only at material need, let's not let our looking otherwise cause us to neglect material need. All right? Because Sometimes we'll do that too. We'll say, well, I'm, I'm offering them the warmth of companionship. That's great, but they're also really hungry. I'm offering them a word of encouragement. That's great, but they haven't been able to pay their rent in three months. So so we need to wrestle with these things. And if our main objective in our engagement with the needs of those around us, the needs of brothers and sisters, the needs of family, is our preservation, then it's showing us something, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's showing us no small thing. For if the love of God does not reside in us, and we have hardness towards our brother and sister, unforgiveness towards brother and sister, resentment and bitterness or callousness towards our brother and sister. That's showing us that our hearts have not yet been tender receptacles of the Lord's love for us, that love that, that, that is exemplified in the sacrifice of Jesus and makes us his children. You know, there's a couple of kingdom principles that are at play here one of these and we see this not just in this passage but we see this throughout the narrative of scripture and that is this love rules like the the power of God unleashed in the world is flowing out of and expressed at his love even his truth and discipline is an expression of his love God is love and the power of love is what fuels the kingdom of God He has shown us this. It's a power that is vastly different than the power that we're used to. And his love is vastly different than the love that we are used to. Love rules. And in the kingdom where Jesus is king, everyone has enough and no one has too much. When Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was saying, in me, through me, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. The rule and reign of God is coming into this world through me, is what Jesus was saying. And where Jesus is king, where he exercises rule, he is setting the world right. The world isn't right when there's uh, hoarding and, uh, and poverty existing. It's a brokenness of our world and and let's wrestle with that let's wrestle with those things those are absolutely great conversations patty and her group are going to talk about that later today i have no doubt And, and there's places that we're going to wrestle with that because oftentimes our our posture towards um poverty and wealth is shaped more by our economics and our politics than it is by by scripture Um, and, And if that's the case, we need to let this challenge us in this and what it looks like for in our context. John isn't calling for a political revolution, per se. He's calling for a revolution of love within the context of his people. His people. People who are under his rule and reign. And under his rule and reign, God is going about the work of making things right. And so while we, uh, part part of being a Christian in this world is we have an awareness of where our world is broken and, and unright and sinful and we lament and we proclaim truth, absolutely. But we also are called into this space where we live differently. We live under not the rule and reign of this world, but we live under the rule and reign of Christ exemplified by love exemplified by his love for us and our love for each other and as we do that we bear witness to those who have not yet tasted the love of God of what that love looks like and a community of people that is anchored into that kind of love is stunning and ridiculous to look at how stunning and ridiculous are we God's love is real And it is made known in us, what Christ has done for us, and it is made known through us as we love one another. And I'm not sure where you're at this morning as it relates to God's love for you, but the beginning point is being able to rest in and trust his love for you, that Christ died for you, and that through him You are forgiven of your sin and freed from the bondage of sin and freed from death that you might live eternal life beginning now and lasting forever. This is what it means to be his child, to rest in his love that you are his beloved. And if you have never made that decision to submit yourself to him and to receive his gift of life and love through Jesus, today might be your day to do that. Loved having a conversation with Scott who shared about his friend Paul who's wrestling with cancer and Scott has shared Jesus' love with him a number of times but today was that day and so Paul, Paul gave his life to Jesus this morning that he might know life and freedom. That is this incredible gift that God has given us in this new life and if you have never tasted that today could be the day that you do. For many of us, we've tasted that. We, that. That is our story. And so then the call for us is to live as his beloved, to on a daily basis learn what it is to live as his beloved, no longer having to earn his favor and strive for his love and favor, but to rest in his love as his beloved. That is our invitation And it's expressed as we love each other. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.